For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestations of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He it is who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Dr. Joette Bassler, in her commentary on this letter to Titus, says the author was surely a person who revered the Apostle Paul, that he is seeing some persons trying to destroy or at least uh, uh, change, modify the gospel that first had been preached by Paul to the churches he had established. She believes this letter was written a good 50 years after the death of Paul, a good 80 years or more after the death and resurrection of our Lord. It is a text appropriate for Christmas Eve night. I've underlined four things I want you to think about with me quickly. Number one, the grace of the Lord has appeared. Grace is unmerited love, unmerited favor. That God Almighty does make His face to shine upon us is gracious to us. And we've come to know this in Mary's child, our Lord Jesus. Patricia Ross has written that she's been a garage sales advocate for 25 years. She said, when I was a younger woman, I was the first one there when I had seen a garage sale. The next morning, I was up before anyone was ready to sell anything. I wanted the first shot at all those bargains. And through the years, she said, I've found some interesting things. I have a beautiful crystal dish. I don't know exactly what it's worth, but it's priceless to me. I have an old piece of furniture, but one very well made, and I've cherished it for more than 20 years. One time my husband was shopping with me at a garage sale, and we found a gold Parker fountain pen. He never has used it, she said, but it's beautiful and it's a treasure nonetheless. But she said a few years ago I was visiting one of these garage sales when I saw for sale a package of letters. I asked if I might look at them, and they said, sure. I took this package of letters and noticed that all the postmarks were from different places in Europe. I asked, uh, who wrote these letters? And the owner of the house said, well, it was a young woman who had opportunity to go to Europe and wrote home to her parents. Um, I found them up in the attic when I bought the house. Patricia says, I went away without those letters, but I couldn't get them off my mind. So a little later that day, I went back. They were still for sale. I bought them, took them home, and I read them. I read them, every letter. Everything this daughter had said to her mother and father that they had saved for the rest of their lives, this packet of letters. It changed my life. Because I discovered in that experience, it's not really about the stuff. It's about the stories of people's lives. The stories of people's lives. Who first bought my crystal dish? It meant so much to them. Who first bought that gold Parker pen? 
Why? How much did they spend? For whom was it bought? That table, who made it? Under what conditions? Who bought it? Who looked after it? Who used it all those many years? As I've gotten older and older and realized someday somebody will sell my stuff or give it away, I hope those who have it will take the time to wonder, why did she buy that? Why did she save that? Why did she treasure that? It's about the stories of people's lives. It's about those moments when they experienced the grace of God. Number two, He it is who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us. This word redeem is a verb in Greek that comes from the slave market. When a slave was put up onto a pedestal and bids were taken, uh, highest bidder claiming the slave, in this case, highest bidder, our Lord Jesus, who walks up and says to every one of us, I set you free. I set you free. Sin no longer has control over you unless you let it. Death no longer has the final word for your life unless you let it. I have redeemed you. I have bought you back. There's an exhibit right now in the Philadelphia Museum of Fine Arts. It's the work of James Castle. That may not be an artist whose name you know. He lived 78 years on a small farm out in Idaho. He was born in 1899. He lived until 1977. He was born profoundly deaf. Every time he was examined for the rest of his life, physicians would say, this person has never heard a sound of any kind. When he was just a boy, shortly after the turn of the last century, he was sent to a school for the deaf. But in those days, signing was not the primary way one was taught to communicate. One was taught to read lips. And if one has never heard a sound, lip reading is extremely difficult. After five years, the school said they didn't think James was ever going to make much progress. And they sent him back home to the farm. He became an artist. You know the medium he used? his own saliva and the soot from the family fireplace. The soot from a fireplace and the saliva from his own mouth. He made painting after painting for the rest of his 78 years. Karen Wilkin is an art critic who is writing about this exhibit in Philadelphia and she said, I'm amazed at the magnificent landscapes of a farm in Idaho I'm amazed at the detail in the farm buildings. A chicken coop, uh, a stable where a cow is fed and milked, uh, the inside of the kitchen, things in the pantry. But as I look at all these works of James Castle gathered in one place, all of his people that he portrays are one-dimensional. Um, almost like that of a child, not nearly so advanced as his drawings, his paintings of landscapes and buildings, even animals. He seemed to feel that he had a much greater and better grasp of all of those things than he did about people. 
when I read that, it was sad to me. Sad because it was for people that God sent His Son. It was for people that our Lord Jesus was willing to die. It was for people that God raised Jesus from the dead. Number three, while we wait for the glory of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dr. Daniel Levitin teaches at McGill University. Uh, he is a person who has studied music and the role of music in our common life. In one of his recent articles, he says that hunters and gatherers, our ancestors, discovered in a time when they could not read nor write that knowledge could be kept closer in the mind when it was set to music. How many of us have taught a child or grandchild A, B, C, D, E, F, G? Okay, we remember better when things are set to music. And Daniel Levitin says that long, long ago, our ancestors who were hunters and gatherers on this planet learned to set the most important things to music, to rhythm. They learned how to make drums. Uh, things that would carry rhythm, rhythm, because things set to rhythm and to music one could remember better. And then in this article he talked about modern studies of how music does in fact get into our heads, get into our minds, and we can't get it out, he said. For example, a group of professors at Leicester University in England decided to experiment with two kinds of music in a favorite wine shop there in Leicester. So one afternoon from 12 until 5, they had played over the sound system classical German music. And they discovered that that afternoon they sold twice as much German wine as they did French wine. Then the next afternoon from 12 until 5, they played French music, very well known to English people, and the French wine sold twice as much as the German wines. And they waited a month and decided to try it again. And surely enough, the afternoon they played German music, people picked out German wines. And when they played French music, they picked out French wines. So they decided to try something else. There was a very famous restaurant there in Leicester. And they talked to the proprietors about this experiment. They agreed to go along. And so one evening, when people started arriving for dinner at 5 o'clock that went on until almost midnight, they played popular music. And the next evening, starting at five and going until almost midnight, they played classical music. They tried that experiment several times, and every time, they said, people spent at least 10% more when they were hearing classical music. That classical music seemed to elevate them to buy the more expensive entree. The more expensive salad or hors d'oeuvre, the more expensive dessert at the end of the meal. That classical music elevated. And then Dr. Levitin says in his article, We who are spiritual have wonderful music that helps us understand how this day is properly set apart. On Sunday at 5 o'clock, we had the Christmas portion of Handel's Messiah. And when we hear that tenor soloist begin to sing, Comfort ye, comfort ye, 
my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Her warfare is ended. When we hear the bass sing, and he shall be a refiner's fire, and he shall be a refiner's fire, and then we hear the chorus, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, when we hear a soprano sing, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice greatly. And we gather on Christmas Eve and we sing, O come, all ye faithful, hark the herald angels sing, joy, joy to the world. Number four. Our Lord Jesus would have a people who are zealous for good deeds. Zealous for good deeds. Eager to do what is right. One of the commentaries I read this week said this means that people who respond out of agape, that willingness to put themselves out for the well-being of another, those people do no harm. They do only that which is helpful, only that which is good. Little children get so excited about this season of giving, of giving, of receiving. And as we grow older, hopefully we are learning that it's more and more fun to be the giver. Shirley Berger has written, I'm 58 now, she says. Fifty years ago, I had an experience I've never forgotten. I had barely turned eight. It was just before Christmas when my older sister proceeded to tell me that there is no Santa Claus. Now, my grandma had always been a straight shooter with me, so I sought her out and told her what my sister had said. And my grandma said, well, that rumor has been going around for years. Let me tell you what you and I need to do. You go get your warmest coat and tell your mother that you and I are about to go to the store. So Shirley said, I got my warmest coat, got in the car with my grandma, and she drove me to the biggest department store in our little town. She opened her purse, took out a $10 bill, and handed it to me. I don't think I'd ever held a $10 bill before. $10 seemed like an awful lot of money 50 years ago. And my grandma said, I want you to go in the store and think about somebody who really needs a Christmas present. I'll wait right here till you get back. Shirley said, I, I'd never shop by myself, ever. I'd never had $10 to spend. But my grandma motioned me on, so I got out of the car and hurried into the front door. I started thinking, who do I know who really needs a Christmas present? And I thought about Bobby Decker. Bobby Decker's in my class at school, she said. I've seen him walk into school on really cold days. He has no coat. When it's time for recess, he produces a note from his mother that says he's not to go outside because he has a cold. He doesn't have a cold. He just is cold. He has no coat. I know. He has no coat. So I started looking around the store, she said. I finally found a beautiful red one. It even had a hood. And I took it up to the cash register and laid my $10 bill on the counter. The woman who was about to wait on me asked, Is this a present for somebody else? And I said, Yes, ma'am. This is for Bobby Decker. 
She said, that'll be $10. She took my $10, put that coat in a bag, and I rushed out to my grandma's car. She drove me home and said, we've got to get this wrapped, and quickly, it's getting dark. So we wrapped that beautiful red coat, and we put a tag on it that said, to Bobby Decker from Santa Claus. And Grandma drove me over to his house. She parked just a little bit, just so the car would still be in the dark, and she said to me, all right, Santa, take this package up to the front door of Bobby Decker's house. You lay it down right by the side of the door, and then you knock as loudly as you can, and you come running back to me. And Shirley said, I was a little scared, but I went up on that porch, and I laid this beautiful present down right by the door. I pounded as hard as I could, and then I ran as fast as I could, and I jumped back in the car with my grandma, sort of out of, in the dark, away from the house. Just a second, Bobby Decker came. He opened the door. He grabbed that big present and went back inside. When my grandma died, my family was dividing up her things. And I asked if I could have her Bible. I don't know. I just saw her take a tag off that coat when we were wrapping it and stick it in her Bible. I wanted that Bible. And when I got it, I opened it and that tag was still there. That $10 coat had been marked 1995. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life that was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord.
Christmas candles will burn out, the carols will die away, and all the radiant song thrill season will pass. Remain to each of us, O Christ of Bethlehem, more beautiful, more beloved, more real than any of the romance that clusters around your birthday. May the love of God which was and is in Christ Jesus be also in you and keep you close to God and to God's Christ now and forever. Amen.